You know, as I've mentioned time and time again when we studied the parables, that um, as long as I've been a student of the Bible, a parable has been described as an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. But the Greek actually means to cast alongside. And what you see Jesus doing time and time again is casting alongside this kingdom truth with this earthly story that makes sense. And, um, and, and you know, it's, a, it's an important um, part of the Bible to, to pay attention to because God is teaching us about his kingdom, about what we should expect when God moves in our lives. It, we should, uh, it gives us insight into the future, our future. The kingdom of God describes a moment right now. Uh, because we get to live interacting with the kingdom of God. God will speak to us. God will lead us. He guides us. His Holy Spirit moves us. But, but the kingdom of God also describes a future reality for us. We, we are going to experience the kingdom of God in, in physical reality in, in our future. And it's an important thing to recognize the kingdom of God has been revealed to us and is being revealed to us. And in the parables, that's what we see. And, and Walter Wink is a, uh, a pastor that I like to read. He's gone to be with the Lord now. But he describes the, the parables as tiny lumps of coal squeezed into diamonds where we can catch the rays of the kingdom of God. And I love that, that picture because that's what we're going to look at today, these, these, these beautiful reflections of God's kingdom that teaches us and warns us at times, confronts us at times. And in Luke 14, it's really kind of funny. It's kind of an interesting, awkward dinner. Like I've called this the awkward dinner because I don't know if you've ever been to a dinner that got really awkward, okay? Uh, this is an awkward moment in the lives of, the, of Jesus and in the, in the, in the Pharisees. And in Luke 14, uh, Jesus was invited to this dinner and and, and there's some things we can observe about Jesus that I think is just really fun to observe. And, and it's interesting to observe that, that, that the, these people were trying to trap him. They were trying to trap Jesus here, and he knew it. And the truth is, um, Jesus wasn't caught off guard with the trap that was laid in front of him. And we need to realize this. This is an important truth for us because you know that Satan is going to attack us. There are traps that Satan lays for us. And, and we should expect this. This is a reality that, that we should expect, that Satan will come against us. He will, he will put traps in our lives. And, and we should never be caught off guard with Satan's schemes. And that's an important truth. Jesus wasn't caught off guard here. Another thing about Jesus, he didn't back down from these spiritual attacks. I mean, Jesus wasn't afraid um, to, to take a stand and, 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 and it's interesting to me how, how I felt the pressure, sometimes the fear, to take a stand for the Lord. But, but Jesus reminds us that we should never fear these things. Uh, he, uh, Jesus stood on the word of God. And, and I, I think it's important for us to realize that we should never be afraid to stand on the promises of God. We should never be afraid to speak up about the promises of God. And Jesus models this. Another thing that I think is very important that we see Jesus doing is he didn't allow criticism to keep him from boldly speaking the truth. I mean, these guys were, were coming at him. And, and there, was, there was no way that God in the flesh was going to allow criticism to cause him to back down. And at this dinner, Jesus most definitely did not back down. And, and I think, you know, it's funny to me because people, like, picture Jesus as, oh, he just is... 
is, is just always loving and, and, and he's just, uh, you know, forgiving. And those things are true. But, but, but we've got to recognize that, that it is loving to confront. Okay? And Jesus very clearly confronts with the truth. And, and he's not making friends at this dinner. And it's kind of interesting. And I think it's something we need to say, you know, to look at. In the Sabbath, in Jesus' day, Sabbath day hospitality was normal. So it wasn't abnormal for Jesus to be teaching in the synagogue and then someone to say, hey, Jesus, would you come over for dinner? And there was many times that people would say, I I really want to know what you have to say. I'm really interested in what you're saying. And and there were times that that was the case. But there were also times Jesus received invitations and he accepted them and it was a trap. They were looking for ways to to, to, uh, entrap him in, in his ministry and they were looking to destroy him. I mean, the Pharisees had a very clear plan. We've got to kill this guy. After Lazarus rose from the dead, I mean, Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead. The Jews did not look and go, wow, that was a miracle. The Jews said, we got to kill this guy. And isn't that interesting? Um, that, that he would produce that kind of miracle and yet still receive the, the angst and the, and, the, and the attack from these Pharisees. And this is what's going on. Look at verse 1 with me. Because in this dinner, as this uh, attack is going, as they're watching him, uh, Jesus does this. He uses these questions to confront his attackers. On the Sabbath day, verse 1, one Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, so this is an important guy, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. Now, now it's interesting because this Pharisee invited uh, Jesus to his home, but he also invited this man who was sick. Dropsy is this painful disease that that is kind of like kidney trouble, and and there was heart trouble, liver trouble. It would cause someone to swell up. Water would be in their tissue, and it was kind of a a painful, fatal uh, disease. So here they are. They're at this dinner, and this sick guy's there. Now, it's, it's uncommon to do this. It would be uncommon for a a prominent Pharisee to invite a sick person to dinner. And and so, um, but it's interesting, they put this man in front of Jesus because they knew that, okay, if Jesus did not respond to this sick person, that he would be seen as someone without compassion. But if if he did respond, it's the Sabbath day. Remember the Sabbath day when we were in Israel? Um, it's interesting, uh, we were uh, in Israel on the Sabbath day, and, and, and they, uh, the elevators on the Sabbath day in Israel are set to go to certain floors because it is considered work to push the button on the elevator in Israel. So they, on the Sabbath day, they're just set. You just go to certain floors and it stops because it doesn't want a, a, a person you know, honoring, the, they want to honor the Sabbath, so they don't want someone to do the work of pushing the button. And, and see, these rules have developed, and these rules were developing here. And, and so it was, it was um, interesting that Jesus was put in the, it was a test. 
Jesus, are you going to heal on the Sabbath? Now, now by this time, G- there were seven times that we know of that Jesus broke the Sabbath. I mean, he cast out a demon on the Sabbath. He healed a fever on the Sabbath. He, he healed a lame man on the Sabbath. He healed a man with, with a paralyzed hand on the Sabbath day. Um, he delivered a crippled woman possessed by a demon on the Sabbath. He healed a man born blind on, on the Sabbath. So, so it's not like they didn't have evidence, but here's this Pharisee going, hey, we need a little more evidence of this guy, so we're going to put this man uh, with dropsy in front of him. And look how Jesus responded in verse, verse 3. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and the Pharisees saying, he asked him a question, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Because he knew what they were thinking. It wasn't like this was a surprise to him. Look at verse 4. But they remained silent. Then he took him and he healed him and sent him away. And wouldn't that have been a crazy? I mean, I mean, I love it. He's just like the elephant in the room, the sick guy. Jesus says, hey, guys, by the way, is it unlawful to heal on the Sabbath? And they didn't know what to say. They didn't say anything. So Jesus says, hey, I'm going to heal you. All right, man, go home. Now, now they missed the whole miracle. Oh, my goodness. I mean, they were standing in front of a guy that just got healed. Now, why are you not going, we got to follow him? Who can do that but God? Who can do that kind of work but God? But yet, that's not what they thought. Verse 5, then Jesus said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on the Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? Verse 6, and they could not reply to these things. Now, I don't know if this is true, but this kind of makes me laugh a little bit because I wonder if, if that day on the Sabbath, if, if before dinner they came together and, and one of them was like, dude, Jim Bob, my son, that knothead, what is he thinking? Have you ever had that moment when your dad looks at you like, what are you thinking? Have you ever had that moment? I wonder if one of those guys at that circle had that experience that morning because Jesus knew stuff. And, and I wonder if they're like, hey, you know what? I had to, Jim Bob drove the ox and he fell into the ditch. Oh, are you kidding me? I had to pull him out. Don't tell anybody. And then I wonder if Jesus is like, hey, which of you if you had a son fall into a ditch with his ox, that seems like an odd, like, pull it out of, the, out of the sky here. So I don't know. I don't have Greek evidence of that. I just think it's kind of funny. Because um, I bet they're looking at each other going, how did he know about Jim Bob? I don't know if there was a Jewish guy named Jim Bob, but it makes sense for me in Oklahoma. And, uh, and plus, I hung out with Keith this morning, and we talked about Arkansas football, so maybe Jim Bob's just on my mind right now. Um, so I'm just kidding. I, I love the Razorbacks. Um, but it's interesting. Here's the message for us. Point number one is this. God sees straight through fake service. Now, God knows when we're being fake. And that, that's why it's so important to come into this place and, 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 and go to the Lord, realizing he sees everything. He knows our hearts. He knows our minds. He sees where we are. Let's not try to, we, we, you can't fake out the Lord ever. He knows your heart. 
He knew the heart of every man there. Jesus knows your heart today. He knows your struggles, your failures, your, your, your difficulties, your burdens. And isn't it amazing that we can come to the Lord with all those things? We don't have to hide those things from him. And we need to come to him and say, Lord, we, we, here's our burdens. Here's our fears. Here's our mistakes. He, he reads your thoughts. I mean, this is who Jesus is. He reads your thoughts. He, he knew the thoughts of every man there. He, he, knew the, he knew the heart of that man that was sick with dropsy. He knew that. You know what else he does? And I'm grateful for this. God exposes insincerity. And I think that's what he's doing here. He's exposing insincerity. Now, now here's what I'm grateful for with the Lord, and, and this is why I, I pray that we are, we are a people that when we feel conviction, we embrace that. When we feel um, um, a burden for our own sin, that we embrace that. Do you realize that's a blessing to, to, to be confronted with your sin? The law of God is a blessing. The conviction of God is a blessing. And, and this is something that I think we, we've got we've to learn to feel that and, and, and respond to that. And that's what these guys were missing. Jesus exposed the false religion of the Pharisees and the scribes. They were missing it. I mean, they claimed they were defending the law of God, but, but the reality is they were denying it by the way they lived their lives. You know, in, in the... In, in the, in the winter, in January, we're going to begin a study in 1 Samuel. We're going to take a look at First and Second Samuel. And uh, in, in the coming months, we'll have a little break in there. But, but you know, in 1 Samuel 16, 7, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And I think we need to recognize that God sees our heart. And this is an important reality. There's some important revelations in this, in this dinner because there's multiple parables that we get to confront today. Verse 7, look at it. So dinner goes on. And he told them a parable to those who were invited because there were people invited to this dinner. And, and, and Jesus sees it. It's all unfolding in front of him. I mean, I mean the guy that, that's healed, he leaves, but the people have been invited, and they're all kind of clamoring to, to get at the table. And, and when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, so, so imagine the dinner is, is now people are getting to sit down, and people are like, like elbowing, getting to the place of honor, the, the, the important spots, pushing other people out. Verse 8, he says, he said to them, when you're, invited to some, when you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit in the place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person. And then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that, that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. You know, it's interesting. Um, I mean, this was, I, I, um, the emphasis here in this part of the parable, it, it's, it's, it, the, the, the people were, were valuing their reputation over their character. 
You know, that's the temptation we face. I mean, I mean, we can imagine being at this dinner going, look, I want to feel important. I want to nudge my way into the, the important seats. And Jesus is watching this unfold, and he's like, hey, look, your character is more important than your reputation. And, and point number two is this, your character holds greater value than your reputation, doesn't it? Shouldn't we be more focused on our character than our reputation? And that's the point Jesus is making. I mean, this, this whole challenge to avoid self-promotion here. We have a tendency in our social circles, and at this dinner, Jesus is like, he's full of some parables here because he's like, look, you, you folks, look, I'm going to correct you here. And so the dinner's already awkward. He's already had the sick guy, and he's already looked at the Pharisees and goes, hey, you know, uh, you're, which of you would, would not pull out your son or your ox? And so... Hey, look at all you people. Look what you're doing. Can you imagine the awkwardness of this dinner? The confrontation of this dinner? And you know what I think God does? He honors that I'm third lifestyle. You remember that? You know what I'm third lifestyle is? I learned this years ago at Canacuck. I didn't go to Canacuck, but Robin worked there. But, but this, this prevailing teaching that, that, that I heard first, I'm sure Canacuck took it from somebody, but, but, but where they said put... Christ first, others second, and yourself third. And what, what if we really did that? What if you did that in your work, in your life, in your home? Christ first, others second, yourself third. Man, that, that's, that sounds like this challenge of humility. Humility is an, is an important first pursuit for all of us, right? Learn to be humble. And, and humility is elusive, isn't it? Because humility, it, once you realize you have it, you don't have it, right? Humility, oh, I'm so humble today. I'm just, I just want to be humble today, you know? And so it's an elusive uh, part of our walk with the Lord. But Jesus was, was pointing out, look, folks, pay attention to your character, not your reputation. And, and I think about... A good verse to 1 Peter 5, 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And this is one of those moments that God is saying, Jesus is saying, look, the proud, God opposes proud people. He gives grace to humble people. Verse 12, the parable goes on. And he said to the man who had invited him, the, the, the man, that, that, this, the Pharisee, the leader of the Pharisees, whose, whose dinner is awfully awkward here. He says, hey, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, which guess who's probably there? His friends, his relatives, his rich neighbors. But he also invited this sick guy. And, and like doing, inviting the sick guy as a way to go, man, we're going we're gonna to get him. And then Jesus is basically saying, hey, but when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. So it's almost like he's, he's taking his, his, uh, his uh, trick and meant to be, that's meant to be spiteful. And it's like, hey, man, you got that one right. 
He's like, okay, thank you. Thank you for that. But, but Jesus knew the host had invited these guests for a couple reasons. You know, he probably invited these guests because, because uh, maybe he was paying them back because they had invited him to feast before. Or maybe, maybe he invited these people because he was expecting, well, one day you're going to have a feast and I'm going to be invited. But the point we need to see today, I think, is important for us is this, is that, is that as followers of Christ, we should consistently invite needing people into our lives, shouldn't we? Shouldn't we invite needy people into our lives? Shouldn't we be a church that, is, that, is, that we run after and seek after people that are needy? It's why, I'm, it's why we must do pursuits and, 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 and fully fund pursuits like the mission, where we are. I was so thankful for our church. And, you know, we went over there Thursday night in a, one of our Sunday school classes, or two couple of them were doing Christmas boxes. And, and these are, we should be pursuing needy people. And the point here, I think Jesus is encouraging us, and a message we can receive is that, is that we should focus on others and not just yourself. Focus on others. As a Christian, as a follower of Christ, it should be normal that we focus on others and not ourselves. Um, and, and here's what I, a consistent message in the parables is, is this, um, this push to always remember that Jesus met me in my greatest need. I've been forgiven. You've been forgiven. And I, and I think about what Jesus has done, what he came to do, that, that Philippians 2, 4 through 8, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in human likeness, in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And see, Jesus knew, I'm about to go to the cross. I've come to serve. And, and these Pharisees, man, they're focused on themselves. And so he took this moment at this dinner to point this out. Now, um, I just can imagine the awkwardness of this dinner. Here they are. It's like, okay, Jesus is lecturing. He's confronting them, and they're silent. They don't know what to do. They don't know what to say. And then some knothead pipes up in verse 15. Look at this. This is a guy that you're like, there's always one guy like this that's going, well, let me break the silence, and let me say something that sounds spiritual, okay? I'm going to do this. I got to, this is awkward. This is weird. He's just like, Punching us in the gut. I mean, this really is Jesus walking in going, oh, yeah, you're trying to trap me. And then he's just basically going, um, you know, right there to these Pharisees, sort of. Not physically, but that's what I see. <laughs> Verse 15. When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. That sounds like a good thing to say today. I think I'll just say that. And then Jesus again says, I'm going to make this even more awkward for all you religious people. Look what he says. But he said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, 
for everything is now ready. So, so these are people that have had received an invitation and they've accepted the invitation to a banquet, which was part of the custom. And, and they'd already accepted the invitation. But, verse 18, they, they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. I mean, these are weak excuses. I mean, if you have received an invitation to a banquet, and, and, and you, know, uh, you know, Jews are good business people, right? They, they always have been. And so there's not a, a good Jewish businessman who's not going to go buy a field that he hasn't seen it yet, right? But he's like, oh, well, i got to go see my field. Okay, that's, that's a weak excuse. Another said, I've... I've bought five yoke of oxen, and I, I have to go examine them. Please have me excused. Again, uh, no rightful good businessman is going to buy oxen uh, uh, and not having seen them. You're going to see them. You're going to know what you're buying. Another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. Now, we can understand this because the wife says, hey, you ain't going. Okay, I maybe, maybe get that. I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm kidding. That's, that's, that's a joke. Um, but it's kind of like, like I think how silly that is. Because we're in the middle of planning a wedding in our house. My daughter's engaged. And, and I'll tell you what, this guy has already accepted the invitation. And it's not like he's like, oh, wow, I forgot. I've been, I got a wedding. I got a wedding. No, we're, these weddings, if you've ever planned a wedding or been in a wedding or thought about a wedding, there is stress and planning and stuff to do, right? There's, there's usually surprises at weddings, but the date is not one of them most of the time. And he's like, oh, I, I can't come. Verse 21, so the servant came and reported these things to his master. And the master of the house, look at this, became angry. And said to his servant, see, we need to hear this. Often in the parables, you see a recurring message of the master being disappointed by the irresponsibility of his people. God expects us to be stewards God expects us to, now, now he's, he's gracious to us, but as followers of Christ, we must not miss this. We are called to responsibility. And the servant reported these things, and the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled, the blind and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done. And look at this amazing statement, and still there is room. So she says, go, go get these people that are undeserving. Go get these people that, that are sick and blind and lame, and, but there's room. And the master said to the servant, go out into the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. And then verse 24, he makes the awkward dinner even more awkward. For I tell you that none of these men who were invited 
shall taste my banquet. And you know what's interesting about these guests? These guests expected to get another invitation in the future, but guess what? That invitation never came. When you think about the people that are invited to the banquet, this is a foreshadowing of Gentiles, of broken people. That's, that's us. We've gotten invited to the banquet. And what Jesus is revealing here is, is, is this, this mistake that these Pharisees and, and these religious people were making. And it's, and it's something that, that I see people make all the time. And I don't want us to make this mistake. That's why point number four is, is so very important. Do not ignore the call to eternal life. And it's my prayer that, that, that you don't ignore this call. What these Pharisees were doing, they were ignoring the call to eternal life. They thought that because I'm a Jew, because I am a, a, a part of the nation of Israel, I am somehow automatic to the kingdom of God. And Jesus said, that's not true. You will not be invited to this banquet you know what I see here is, is this, that a person can have false security in their eternal life. And I don't want you to have false security about eternal life. And I, I look at the heart of our master that says, I want you to go and I want you to invite people to come in. I want you to, I'm going to send you to go. And here's what we've got to recognize, and, and this is the urgency of our church, and must be the urgency of our hearts, that, that rejecting the Lord will be nothing short of devastating for people. You know that, right? Rejecting the Lord will be devastating. Rejecting the Lord's voice is devastating. I want you to flip over to Proverbs 1, because as I was praying through this message, this this passage kept coming to my mind. Proverbs 1, it's to Solomon. Solomon wrote this. Even just in my quiet time today, I was reading about Solomon, how he rejected the, God, the call of God, rejected. He disobeyed God in his life, even though he was warned. Even though in Proverbs 1, look at this, verse 24. God's word says, because I have called you and and you refuse to listen. Have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded. Because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm. And your calamity comes like a whirlwind. When distress and anguish come upon you. Then they will call upon me and I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me, because they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel, and despised all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices, for the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure. <laughs> And we'll be at ease without dread of disaster. And you know, this is the, the Jews. They, they rejected Jesus. And 
And so I want us to see that, that Jesus reveals the, the Christian life is a feast, not a funeral. It's a feast. And, it's, and, we, and all of us, we're invited to come. We're invited to come, and, and it's interesting that he goes to the, uh, the, the, the sick and the crippled and the lame. Then he says, I want you to go to the highways and the hedges. This, this is to the, the people that are, that are undeserving, us Gentiles. We would be seen as undeserving. And, and, and I'll tell you, I, I pray that you know Christ as your Savior. Do you know him today? Because the Bible is very clear. There is a judgment for those who reject the call of God. And it's devastating. And see, once, once what's interesting about this parable is because he says, oh, you, those who answered the call and we come to the banquet, what does he say to us? Now I want you to go into the streets and I want you to, to, to compel people to come in. Right? Did you, did you hear that? Jesus says, compel people to come in. And see, when once we answer the call of God to, to come into the banquet, we, we, are, we are now called to go. And you know, this week, I've, we had the Southern Baptist Convention, and my heart is just full, and I know i got to wrap it up. But, ah, oh, my heart is just full. Because as, as John Brady was here last week, and I hope you got to meet him, and and I, I just got to, I got to spend this week with him and hanging out with him and just, uh, just hoping that a passion for missions would just keep rubbing off on me. And, and I love it. You know, one of the things that he said, he said, do you realize that right now we live in the most populous time in the history of the world? There are more people living today than at any other time in the history of the world. And as I was, as I've been praying about this and thinking about this and, 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 and thinking about how God could have called us to live at any time in the history of the world. He could have called us to be serving him and to be walking with him at any time in the history of the world. And God has chose, has called us to live today, in this day. And it reminds me of, just go with me here, the football game last night. Okay? Here's the football game last night as I'm watching OU versus Baylor. Thinking about, oh, I'm not too sad if the Baptists win, but my, my sooner loyalties are coming through. And, and I'm watching this comeback. I'm watching, you know, this last drive as, as the game is about to be, could be tied. And I, and I look over at, at Lincoln Riley, and he's not sitting on the bench, looking at the bench going, you know what? Let's use Jim Bob again. I don't know if there's a guy on Jim Bob on the team of OU, but, but he's not looking down the bench going, you know, Jim Bob hadn't played all year. We need to get that boy some playing time. Jim Bob, go in for Hurts. Go in for Jalen Hurts. I just want to see what you got. He didn't do that. What did he do? He put the best players on the field when the game counted. Now look, God in his wisdom saw fit for you and I to live during the most populous time in the history of the world. So we're playing. We're on the field, if you will. We're in the game, if you will. 
and where to go, where to speak up, where to compel people to come to Jesus, where to build a church right here that's walking with the Lord, passionate about the gospel, moving and responding to the Holy Spirit. Folks, let's make it count. That's the that's when a theme of the parables. Let's make our lives count. Let's live for the kingdom. Let's be a part of sharing the gospel.